Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. Our guest in this episode, FDNY Lieutenant Jack Mara, comes from a long line of FDNY firefighters and proudly joined the department in 1982. He was first assigned to Engine Company 67 in the Washington Heights neighborhood of Manhattan, which was one of the most active companies coming out of the FDNY's war years. In 1995, after working with some of the most seasoned and experienced members on the job, he promoted to lieutenant and within a relatively short period of time was assigned to Engine Company 46 in the Bronx, where he continues to serve today. As you'll hear in this conversation, that continuity of leadership has made a great and lasting impact on those around him. There's a lot to cover in this episode, so without further delay... Lieutenant Mara, welcome, and thank you for agreeing to be featured on the podcast. You're very welcome, Patty. We have a lot to cover, so let's dive right in. Okay. And let's start with your early life and those who influenced your decision to join the FDNY. Do you mind describing your upbringing and your family's lineage of service? Well, I was born and raised down in, in Riverdale, which is a section of the Bronx. You know, I had a tremendous upbringing there. It was pretty much a blue collar area where I grew up and there were a lot of civil servants and my father was a fireman and my grandfather was a fireman. So I was introduced to it at an early age and that included going to the firehouse on payday with my dad and, you know, playing on the apparatus floor and in the trucks. And uh, it it was a lot of fun and it appealed to me. I kind of grew up, I was lucky enough to grow up around it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the biggest influence. And we had older guy, a couple of older guys in the neighborhood, too, who were firemen that we looked up to. And uh, that was part of it also. And I understand your family is connected to the Burn Center. Yes. Uh, my father, along with a couple of other guys, got together in the early to mid-70s. There had been that young girl in Vietnam who who was hit with napalm. And it was all over the newspapers and the magazines. and they started out by trying to raise a little bit of money to bring her over here for the best possible care that she could get. And they ran into some red tape. They did raise thousands of dollars though. And they were able to send it over there for her to get the best care she could get there. But what they found out was that there was no real burn center here in New York city. Uh, There were burn units pretty adequate, but there wasn't like a full fledged burn center. So with that, they decided to keep raising those funds through different means. And then they got a couple of corporations involved like Alcoa Aluminum. And then some doctors down at New York Hospital took an interest and they raised, you know, hundreds of thousands. And it, you know, morphed into this best burn center in the world. Right. And lucky enough though, after he passed the baton to Jimmy Curran, Lieutenant Jim Curran, Mm-hmm. who then passed it along to Bill Leahy, who's still running it. And without those kind of guys, 
couldn't have kept it going also. So it's been really a tremendous thing. It's something that, you know, we're all very proud of in the family. I'm sure. It seems as though you would have been eating, sleeping, breathing the fire department, but my understanding is that it wasn't actually something that was like thrust upon you by your father or your grandfather. So why did you make the choice to join the FDNY? Well, I guess he must have got me the application and I took the test when I was 18, just barely 18. I ended up getting called when I was, I had just turned 22, but uh, he, he never pressured us. And my, you know, my grandfather was still around then. He didn't, he didn't pressure us. They wanted us, I think, to do what we wanted to do. And just having been around it, I think that's, you know, all the influence I needed. I could see the lifestyle, the, the camaraderie of the job. That was a big part of the attraction. So I don't know, things just seem to happen sometimes. And I was lucky enough to do well enough on the test to get not at the very top of the list, but it took a couple of years. And actually I was very young when I took the test and you couldn't get on until you were 21. So I was just barely 22 when I did come on mm -hmm. and it worked out pretty good. What so, was your graduation like? It's so long ago, I, I'll be honest, I can hardly remember it, but it was, an, it was a good day. I know we had a big party after it big celebration and uh yeah it's all good i'm sure they were proud oh definitely definitely without a doubt so who were some of the firefighters and officers that had the most impact on you and your development <clears throat> in the early part of your career there's so many of them patty that i i don't know the list would be there's probably hundreds but you know i got assigned to engine 67 up in washington heights and i didn't really know anything about it i'd known a little bit about the fire department from traveling around with my father delivering calendars and things like that the burn center calendars and all that but i didn't even know where it was and when i pulled into the block i was like oh my god you know it was like kind of like during the, the the crack epidemic in that all in, in washington heights and i said oh what did i get myself into over here it was there's a, a small garage door like in, in between these tenement buildings you know, I walked in and met the guys there and, you know, that was the beginning of, of, you know, about almost 14 years of just enjoying the job and learning the job and working with such great people. I know that there are too many to name, so let's not start naming them perhaps, but what were the traits and attributes that you admired that you wanted to emulate from these members? They were tough on us, the bosses and the, and the senior men but they were very understanding. If you made some kind of a little mistake, they would talk to you about it. They didn't overanalyze it and they wanted to do, do better the next time. And uh, they led by example and they had great experience from, you know, the 60s and 70s when the job was as busy as, as it ever was. So we were learning from guys that really knew what the job was all about. And it wasn't just in my firehouse, it was in the entire battalion and the entire division. Our bosses, basically came from the Bronx for the most part. And then guys that got promoted out of say Harlem and Washington Heights went over to the Bronx. It was kind of a back and forth. It was familiar territory. They were really good at their job. And we just learned by watching them and listening to them. And that's kind of the nature of, of how we do things. So I understand that you worked with many Vietnam War veterans. Is there anything specific that you want to point out about what you learned from them? Just like uh, there was something about those guys that there's a guy named Tom Donnelly, Bill Labasi, 
uh, Chuck Dever. There's so many others in, in other firehouses around us too. They had a way about them and they were demanding that we, we were able to get the job done. And uh, they kind of had, they were fearless, but they were careful in the way they did things too. Uh, I, I think some of them, without ever really telling us stories, had been through so much when they were very, very young. They had probably cheated death a few times and all that. And, and so they didn't sweat the light stuff, but they worked hard when it came to getting the job done. And uh, I, I really, we were motivated by that. You didn't want to let them down. You did not want to let them down. So you did the best you could, but then uh, they were patient with us too. They, they, they were very good. They, you know, some of them became lifelong friends, still in touch with a couple of them. And it, there was Korean vets too, and there was still a couple of World War II vets around, which was uh, really cool, you know, so. It's an amazing foundation that you had at the start of your career. How does your early career compare to the fire department today? Was there any major difference in training or the culture? Um, I think when I first came on, you know, we had six weeks of uh, proby school. I think the proby school now is sometimes it's 18 weeks and, and it's gone as far as 23 weeks. And, and it's a lot. And they come out of there, they come out in pretty good shape, pretty knowledgeable about how to go about getting things done and, and, and learning all the equipment and the tools. And then they go from there in the firehouse. You know, we continue that, continue that training. I think when I came on, it was six weeks. It went by pretty quick. But then you really kind of learned when you got to the firehouse. And, and you, I, I feel like we learned more by doing it and then talking about it after. There was, I'm not saying it was crazy busy. It wasn't the war years, but there was enough going on where we were learning it by doing it and then talking about it and going over it. And we still had drills and all that. But I think now they've come a long way with the training and the training facilities at the Rock and the different initiatives and different ideas and coming up with new innovations. They really have come a long way. And uh, it's a matter of keeping up with all that and keeping up with all the ideas. And then, and also remembering the basics. Yeah. Basics are huge, very important. Um, fundamentals are key. Yeah. Um, has the culture remained the same or has it evolved? Well, in our firehouse, I can't speak for everywhere else, but I think we've managed to maintain traditions and history and we're so fortunate to be in a place that was extremely busy during the war years. So it's rich in history. We have a reunion every year where several of the old timers come back, a couple of tables worth, guys that were there in the 60s and 70s, actually. And uh, that means a lot. And these younger guys see that. And it makes them realize that they have to try and carry it on. And we've been very fortunate in the last four or five years, we've gotten some really good people and they want to do the job. They want to learn the job and they make my job easier. And then they, they really, they're making it hard for me to leave the job because it's a pleasure working with them. It really is. You know, there's little ups and downs here and there, like anywhere, but for the most part, we're getting along great there. Any of the outside disturbances, we, we kind of, we, we kind of filter that out and we just try and focus on what we can do and get our job done, which is a small piece of the puzzle, but 
I, I really feel fortunate. I, I'm watching these younger guys develop their friendships and the camaraderie, and it's been a little bit busy, so they're learning. And uh, they drill themselves, which is great. I'll come down sometimes to see what's going on, and they're going over things, and I, I, I might just watch and chime in a little bit, but I let them do what they're doing, and it's it's been a, it's been a kind of a pleasure as far as that goes. That's awesome. Going back to training, and you mentioned that at the time that you graduated Proby School, you were only there for six weeks, but you had so much influence from the members that you were working with. How long did it take you to feel comfortable and confident as a firefighter? I don't think it took very long because, you know, you went to your first fire pretty quickly and your second fire and your third fire a few weeks later, maybe. And uh, with each time you, you were developing your instincts and developing your abilities and the guys were kind of patient with us too kept an eye out for us uh, back then they were the bosses were very careful about protecting the probies uh, they tried very hard not to let us get hurt it was a thing back then it was a little dangerous to get you get hurt on probation you don't know what's going to happen with your job you know so they were they were extra cautious uh, they didn't want any of us getting hurt but um, you're always learning, Patty. It's not like you're there for six months and all of a sudden you know everything. Hey, I, you know, I'm there a long time now, but I'm still, you see new things come along, new ideas. Every time one of the young guys goes to show for school, you know, to learn how to drive the rig and pump water or use the area when they come back, we have them tell us what they learned. And sometimes they have some new ideas and, and the apparatus changes and it's good for everybody to keep keep up with what's happening because things do change. Ideas change. So. Yeah. That's something I know about you to be very receptive to being a lifelong learner. I mean, I think you have to be, otherwise you're kidding yourself because uh, as we know, things evolve all the time. I mean, lately now we have, you know, all these uh, battery fires and it's much different than, uh, the fires in the past you know there's different things we have to watch out for and it's going to be probably more and more in the next few years and they're looking into it and they're studying up on what's the best course of action and hopefully we come up with something that will make things as safe as possible mm -hmm. as far as that goes yeah but your mindset your open mindset i think is key i appreciate you know the younger guys and the middle of the road guys and the senior guys I try and learn from them and they learn, try and learn from me. And, you know, we have a, a great mix in our place. And I know most places throughout the job do where people have different talent levels and different abilities. And, and you got to uh, reach out and use those abilities and talents in different situations. We have plumbers, we have electricians, we have carpenters. We have, we have some guys that, never did anything as physical or you know physical labor but they uh they come in and they put extra effort in they learn from these other guys how different different things and tools and, and they become very good too as long as you put the effort and that's the big thing effort that's huge mm -hmm. everybody has different talent levels but the effort has to be there and the interest i think this is the perfect time to segue into your promotion to lieutenant an eventual assignment to engine 46, which was a very busy and senior firehouse at the time. So first, why did you want to promote? 
Well, it seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, you see, when the test is coming up about a year, a year and a half, maybe even two years before, you see guys starting to gather up their books and starting to study. And I was, I had taken a couple of tests actually before I got promoted. I, I, I was on one list. I was on the very end of it because I, I didn't have seniority. And then I got left on that list. But that doesn't matter. I, I eventually made it. But it seemed like the thing to do. And I, I love being a fireman and I'm not big on change. You know, I only worked in two places in all these years and it's hard to leave. That's part of not being big on change, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. And, and it was a good time to learn. You were reading through all the different tactics, procedures. And, you know, sometimes when it's getting closer to test, the job gets a little sharper because guys are thinking, thinking more different situations you know so I, I took it again and I did pretty well on it and it was getting close to get promoted and I was a little bit nervous because you're comfortable where you are and I was so fortunate to get assigned to uh, sixth division in the Bronx which kind of like where I wanted to go it wasn't there's was no guarantees shortly thereafter there was some movement pretty quickly um, CFRD was just starting and a lot of the lieutenants didn't really want engines because it was like such a new thing. But I, I was covering in 46 for a little while. I could see what a great place it was. I was, I was a little bit familiar with it already from relocating over there as a fireman. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't even hesitate. I, I took the opportunity and I'm so glad that I did because uh, it just turned out to be a great run with so many good people. Yeah. Do you mind painting a picture of what the company was like at the time and Really, what was the reception you received from all these other senior members? Well, the reception was great. I have to say, it didn't hurt that I was a friend of Oreo Palmer's. He was a fireman there. People don't know Oreo. He died on 9-11, got up to the 78th floor. I think most people know the name. But we were Proby School partners, and then we were friends since Proby School. So when I walk in and say that I'm a friend of Oreo's, they gave me the benefit of the doubt, I think, right away. But... It was just also similar turf to where I had worked over in Washington Heights. It wasn't that far away, and I was kind of comfortable in that kind of an area. And I, I just have to, you know, there were senior men in both companies, and there wasn't much for me to do except coordinate things a little bit. And these guys took care of uh, putting the fires out, and, and I was, like they say, sometimes you're just along for the ride, you know. And then as time went on, we get younger guys and, and they were phenomenal too. And I, you know, take them under my wing a little bit and the senior men took care of them. And uh, we just did the best we could to get the job done. So I really, really appreciated the fact that when I got there, there were so many guys that they knew what they were doing. It just made, it made things easier. How do you think working with those seasoned firefighters helped you develop as an officer and a leader? Well, they make you realize that technically the officer is in charge, but uh, he, has to, he has to let the men get the job done, let the men make decisions, let the men, uh, you, you know, so, and they also want, they want, if there's three or four ways to do something and you pick one of those ways and why don't we try this they appreciate that too and then if that doesn't work we'll try plan b they appreciate that too but uh you some you have to kind of let them let them make decisions too and let let them do what they do best 
and just keep an eye on things. And maybe if you see something that, why don't, you, why don't we try? Why don't we try it this way or that way? And they appreciate that also, mm-hmm. as long as you're not overbearing. Right, micromanaging. Right, exactly. I cannot overemphasize how challenging it can be for such a young member. I mean, at the time you had 13 years as a firefighter when you promoted to lieutenant to be in a senior firehouse, right? It could be very challenging for people. So what advice would you give young firefighters or officers about how to engage a senior member? Well, first of all, just don't come in like you know everything because nobody knows everything anyway. And then sometimes uh, different different companies may have different ways of doing things and, and you got to blend in and kind of accept that and don't always talk about the way you used to do things or the way you did things where you came from. Just go along, roll with the punches, as they say. What advice would you offer new officers coming up the rank? Anything additional? Oh, be patient. You know, that's a big thing. Don't jump to conclusions. You'll be in different situations, you know, more often administratively or something that happens maybe in an emergency or a fire, but you you know, look, think about it for a little while before you get excited. And probably 99% of the time, you'd be glad that you didn't overreact. I think that's one of the biggest things. And especially people have different personalities. And and, and if you're a little bit high strung or a little bit, if you're the type of person that, that reacts too quickly, maybe you got to train yourself to wait a second and let it breathe for five or 10 minutes. And then you'll be glad that you did mm-hmm. generally. Mm-hmm. I think that's very wise. Definitely. I mean, that's maybe one of the most, there's, there's a few guys that I work with that got promoted and I felt like they could be a little bit high strung. They might overreact. So I, I begged them, I said, please just give it a chance to let things settle down before you, uh, react and then people come in with different this situations we have this well come in with a problem it's not a problem hold on it's a situation you know, let's let's talk about it and it's usually not as bad as they think it may have been so we all catch ourselves sometimes you want to get you know you're about to get angry and then oh, hold on a second let me think about this for a minute and then you're just grateful that you didn't overreact right i love that saying don't make decisions based on temporary emotions Yes, that's, that's the official way of saying it. That's good. So I really love this tradition that I know that you have of printing tickets for new members of the company. Do you mind uh, describing that to listeners and how it started and, and what you think you're accomplishing by doing this? Well, I, I'm not even sure how it started. I must have seen somebody else do it along the way, but I don't remember. But it's always an exciting time when a guy has his first like decent fire, say, and particularly maybe on the nozzle or in the truck, it could be any position. And even in the engine, it could be any position. They're all very important. But uh, I would do it, especially in the engine, when a guy, you know, uh, has his first job, first, say, nozzle job, and, and uh, would just print out the response ticket and write down the name of everybody that was working in the company that day. And then I'll hand it to them and I don't know what they do with it, but some of them put it on the inside of the locker like for the rest of their careers. And and, and I, some of them, I don't even remember doing it. And they come back, you know, years later and remind me that, that we did that and it meant something to them. Which So little things like that. 
are good to do. Uh, I, I'm sure other people do it too, but uh, it's just a memorable, a memorable thing as long as everything goes well. I know you mentioned earlier that you don't like change, but I really want to know why did you stay in your rank and in Engine Forty Six? Well, I guess when I first got promoted, I really liked being there, and there was a test a little while later after I got there, and I studied just a little bit, but not enough. And I, I came very close to passing it. And, you know, I didn't make it. So I was very, I was content. I was just content where, where I was, was and what I was doing. And then uh, I took another test and I went down another few points. I mean, you really, I mean, it's the, the books that are stacked up to halfway up to the ceiling and so much information. So unless you're giving it a hundred percent, it's very hard to uh, do well. So I, I just, resign myself to the fact that I'm going to be low level supervisor. And so, and I was very content with that. So I stuck with it and I don't regret it. I really don't. Well, what value do you think that holds for those that you work with? The fact that you have been such a steadfast fixture in this company, in this area, what does that do both up and down the chain of command? Well, I think we develop a mutual respect with the chiefs and with the higher ups. And then, you know, when the new guys come in and they say, oh, my God, this guy's been here for all these years. It's like he must he must really know what he's doing. But that's not always the case. But, but uh, I don't know. It's just the new guys, are, the younger guys are very, very good to me. I like to think that they listen. I like to think that they learn something. And I like them to think that I learned from them also. And, uh, you know, that's about it. Uh, as far as the captains and the chiefs and the battalion chiefs and the deputy chiefs, we, we have a very good rapport. Mm -hmm. I always do the best. We do the best we can to, to keep them happy and, and get the job done and, and, and do the right thing. And, and that's the thing I, I try and push. We have such good bosses that I tell these guys just, do the right thing, take care of business mm -hmm. and keep the peace and, you know, get it done. Wise, once again. <laughs> I would like to talk about 9-11, if you're comfortable with that. Sure. Do you mind explaining your 9-11 experience? Well, I had been relieved that morning and I was, I actually had a dentist appointment and I was on my way. It was like about 8.30 in the morning, the dentist appointment, I come out at nine o'clock or a little before nine and I heard all the reports, it was a beautiful day. And uh, I put the radio on and it was the initial reports of plane hitting the trade center. So I wasn't sure if I should go home, five minutes to home or 10 minutes, 15 minutes back to the firehouse. So I decided to go home, put the TV on. I wanna see what's going on. And I was like, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I called my brother. He worked in Latitude, he was a Lieutenant Latitude at the time, my brother Tom. I called him, he was at home also. I was grateful for that. And he put the TV on also. And I said to him, I said, you know, the people above, I was like, what's gonna happen? He said, the whole building is compromised because the jet fuel is gonna be pouring down. And as we're watching, the other plane came in and I, I thought it was a replay or a video. So 
He said, no, that's another plane. And then we just kind of hung up and the phone rang. I had a recall and I ran back to the firehouse. And I was trying to get down there that day. I did, we didn't end up getting down there, group of us, until early the next morning, which I think was kind of smart. They were trying to get it under control because there were so many guys heading down there. And the guys, the other guys who were getting off that morning ended up going down on a bus and they got that Thank God, just after the buildings came down, but they worked so hard all day. We went down early the next morning and relieved a lot of those guys. And they were coming off the pile, just so tired and uh, beat up after being there all night. And then we were there all day into the night. And then we went back to the firehouse and uh, got relieved again. It was like back and forth, back and forth. So uh, it was it was a tough, tough time, but guys stepped up guys worked so hard did everything they could and uh it's something of course none of us will ever forget that we're involved in it at that time what influenced you to stay with the department after 9-11 and and your brother as well you mentioned him he just retired right as a battalion just retired yeah um you know i hadn't planned i had about i had just almost 20 years, like that was September and in January, I turned 20 years and I hadn't planned on getting out at that time. My kids were still young. I mean, I, I, I was wondering, at, I remember thinking at the time, how are we gonna attract people to come to the job? And somehow or another, like people got a great interest to come to the job and I, I, I don't, I, to this day, I'm not sure why, because it seemed like something like this can happen again at the time, you know. But um, we attracted some really good people. And I, I always like to make sure that those guys realize that we appreciated them too, even though they weren't there on 9-11. They came in the next couple of classes after 9-11 into this situation that had been so devastating. And they helped us pick up the pieces, all those, all those people that came on post 9-11 or just after 9-11. So I, I wanted to make sure that they knew that they were appreciated too. We had a handful of them in our firehouse and uh, it wasn't all about us that were there. When it happened, it was about those guys that helped us to get through it and rebuild, so. And I'm sure your brother, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm sure he felt the same and having experienced a lot of loss for, in oh, his company. I think so, yeah, I, I do. He was always very quiet. He lost, basically, I mean, Manhattan got so devastated. And he was a fireman in the 9th Battalion. They lost just about everybody. His truck company, he he lost everybody, Latitude, you know, Captain, his captain, Freddie L, and, and the whole crew. And he was there to help them pick up the pieces. I, I got good reports that he was very helpful, very quiet about it. But I always, like, we were up in the Bronx, and we lost tons of friends and everything else and we we lost in 46 and 27 we lost greg sikorsky who had been on a long-term detail to squad 41 and john marshall who was on a one-year detail to 23 engine and that morning he was detailed to 35 truck and we lost him um, but we didn't lose our entire firehouse because we were remote enough from it that day but i said to myself how could i how could I feel sorry for myself when these guys have been through so much? So it was almost like an inspiration to like do whatever we can. And uh, the other thing is we were so fortunate at the time to have 
real senior lieutenants in the house and, and captains. And uh, this guy, Jim Burns, he kept us together. Lieutenant Jim Burns and Lieutenant Gary Demery in the truck they had probably 35 years in the job at the time, plus 35 plus. And, uh, and I can remember Jimmy coming in and I was distraught that morning. And Jimmy comes in and started kind of barking out orders. This is what we need to do. You get a clipboard and get the names. You do this, you do that. Every morning at 0900 thereafter, we had a get together in the back of the apparatus floor because you had basically the entire firehouse there because it was 24 on and 24 off. And he would do a, a quick prayer and a moment of silence. And, and then it would be what we have to do that day, what we know, what we don't know, people we've lost, information we get gathering. And every single member was there. And that, that's one of the things that I vividly remember. And that was like leadership, like uh, you wouldn't believe from those guys. And, and that kind of stuff inspires you, like as you get older and the younger people looking up to the guy who's been around a long time for advice and, and leadership. That paints a very vivid picture. But are there any other lessons you can share about dealing with loss or the challenges of the job? Right. Well, there's always the dangers and there's always uh, over time, there's going to be line of duty deaths. And I remember as a young fireman, we, we seemed to have a pretty good streak waiting. There weren't too many. And you started thinking, ah, this job, maybe it's, it's dangerous, but we've been kind of fortunate. And then all of a sudden, you know, somewhere in the city, company gets hit hard, you know, like uh, the Watt Street fire downtown. And then the early 90s, it was a kind of a bad stretch. But like I remember during the 80s, there was different things in different areas of the city and communication was different. Like if there was a line of duty death very far away in the city, you didn't, you didn't really maybe hear that much about it. or So it seemed remote from where you were. But when it gets a little closer to home, wow, it's like now you realize what those other places were going through. And uh, when it happens right in your own firehouse, it's tremendously devastating. And uh, that's when you really got to pull together, stick together and do everything possible. And I feel like we did that in our situations and, and I see other places the same way and I, I just admire it. It takes tremendous energy to get through those the worst of the days in the beginning and then there's there's follow-up plaque dedications and things with the families and uh trying to help the families and i've said this before when these tragedies do happen and you hope that they never happen of course like the thing is it can it can tear you apart or it can pull you together and i think like my personal experience with the different personalities we had and, and the officer's leadership in the firehouse and the senior men who were phenomenal. I think we kind of pulled it together and uh, did the best we could to get through those situations. And it doesn't hurt that we have such a great ceremonial unit and a great counseling unit. Those are two other things that have come a long way since I came in the job. They were barely existent when I came on. And now like they're just uh, phenomenal. And family yeah, existence as well. Absolutely. Can't leave them out. There are, you know, it's all it's all really good stuff. And most of it evolved from 9-11. 
Um, before that, it was up to the individual companies, really, and with a little bit of help, some help from the job, but to to have a big funeral and everything. And now, you know, they come in and they kind of take over and, and guide and help. So means a lot. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the loss of Marine Corps Staff Sergeant and FDNY Firefighter Chris Slutman. For those who don't know, in 2019, Slutman, who was assigned to Ladder Company 27, was killed in Afghanistan, while those stateside were in the midst of planning a return home celebration for him. Is there anything you'd like to share about him and, and helping others navigate his untimely death? We gave him a, a great send off when he was leaving. And I, I do remember thinking, I wish, I wish he wasn't doing this. I don't know. It's, but it's something he wanted to do. And he felt the need to do it. And he was 30 years old at the time. And I think he was one of the oldest, you know, Marines to, to do what he was doing at that particular, you know, to go and uh, go active duty like he, like he, he had always wanted to do. And it was getting close to him coming back. There was about three weeks to go, and we were starting to plan the return celebration and really looking forward to it because Chris was the kind of guy, he's big, tall, quiet, quiet, but, but very funny too. But it, he, he was with us for about three years, but I, I still felt like I was getting to know him because he was very quiet. He was so good-natured and fun. And uh, I, I was really personally looking forward to him coming back big time because uh, we were developing a really good friendship. And, you know, we were just completely devastated when that happened. And it was out of our control, but it, it was devastating. It was devastating for his prior firehouse too, where he had spent several years in 17 truck, another great place. And uh, we all came together and did the best we could both firehouses and tried to give him the best possible send off. And to this day, we still, still a lot of reminders around the firehouse and we think of him all the time and we keep in touch with his family and uh, there's not much else we can do, but uh, he, he was phenomenal. He, he really was good, really was good at his job, capable, good person. He's sorely missed without a doubt. Keeping in touch with the family, I think is so, important oh definitely and uh there really are there's always a couple guys who step up to the plate and make sure that that happens and if they need anything we're there to help them and i think they appreciate it too definitely it's part of the healing process definitely speaking of ladder company 27 i'd like to discuss a historic fdny tragedy known as the Black Sunday Fire, which occurred on Sunday, January 23rd, 2005. We've featured Black Sunday survivor Brendan Cauley on the podcast in episode number 78. On a separate occasion, Brendan shared a story about his first fire back in 2007 after his grueling recovery. He vividly remembers a transmission you gave that speaks volumes about leading others in a high-risk, time-sensitive operation. So do you mind sharing that story and how you navigated the Black Sunday fire experience? Well, Brendan had just come back after being out for three years. And I think, excuse me, the medical office was almost hesitant to send him back. But he got himself, he really worked very hard to get himself back in shape. I mean, after what he had been through, it's a complete miracle. 
and Dr. Kelly agreed to let him come back. And we were so glad because he's such a great personality and, and a great guy to have around. And I think it was, I don't know if it was his first night back or one of his first nights and we conducted a quick drill. And I think we were getting ready to have dinner and the next thing we're going, you know, out for a, a run second to both companies across uh, Cretona Park North and there's fire blowing out a whole bunch of windows. And, and we just, we get off the rig and we were backing up 45 engine and the truck was 27 was going to the floor above the fire. And it was like a, a, a momentary water loss. I mean, there was a lot of fire. The fire started coming out the door and up the stairs. And, and I just got on the radio and said, George Rodriguez was in the truck. I said, George, come down from there now. And they, they came down and got out of harm's way. And uh, I'm not taking that. I mean, they, the guys did a tremendous job. And they got their water back. They went in and put the fire out. And then we relieved them and took care of it. I think it went to a third alarm. But we were all... Uh, you know, just so glad that everything turned out all right. And they got that. It wasn't it really wasn't because of me. I don't believe they, they 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 would have been coming down anyway. I just wanted to make sure that they they got out of there. And uh, yeah, so I, I got Brennan on the side after that, and I said, Brennan, they're not all like this. I mean, they're really not. And it, we were fortunate after that to have a few more jobs that were a little less involved a little more manageable maybe one room or maybe a mattress or maybe fire in the wall you know worthy of stretching a hose line and making a search and putting the fire up but not like that one was so uh i think he was glad too and he developed his skills and he's become a great fireman and a great friend so as far as black sunday goes that was a whole nother horrendous time in the firehouse and, but again like I said before we got through it we did the best we could we try to help the families as much as possible and to this day we still get together every year and have a little celebration of their lives we kind of call it it's a memorial but a celebration of you know what good people they were and the families come and, and I think they appreciate it and uh, we will never ever forget them Thank you for sharing that. And listeners, when I spoke to Brendan about this first fire back, he was very clear that hearing your voice giving that transmission to tell the members to get down, that was key for him. Hearing your right. voice helped him. Oh, that's good. I'm, that's good. They were in the chimney and they had to get down from there. So I'm glad that it all worked out. And Again, I told Brennan, it's not always like that. <laughs> so, But I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about that continuity of leadership, of you being there. That helped in that situation, for sure, both up and down the chain of command. Well, that's good. I appreciate that. Thank you. On a lighter note, what do you attribute your longevity to? Oh, I don't know. It's a whole process to leave. And uh, sometimes it's just easier to go to work instead of trying to figure out that whole process. But I, I don't live very far away from the firehouse. It's a quick ride. If I lived real far away, it might be different. And um, I've always kind of tried to stay in shape. And I've always tried to keep up with the new innovations in the job. And, and I try not to be an old grouch. I, I, 
I don't want, I never wanted if I found myself becoming like that, I would have probably left a long time ago. And again, I've said it before, but I appreciate the younger members and their energy. So it's just kind of kept me going. I, I still like to go to work and it's going to end sometime, probably sooner rather than later, but um, it's been a great run and I have no regrets. And very appreciative. Is there anything you want to share about your family life? And I know that your wife is like the matriarch of the firehouse and your children are successful. Yeah, my, my wife is a beautiful, great person that has uh, allowed me to do this for all these years. And, and there's a lot of extracurricular things that come with it, including funerals and parties and reunions and other things. And she's always been very good about it, allowing me to do what I have to do as far as all that goes. Things that are, uh, you know, generally expected of you beyond just being in the firehouse. And um, she's very, very good with all that. And and I have, you know, three three boys that have grown into good people. And, uh, you know, my son John's in the construction business and my son Ryan's a professional soccer player. And my son Paul is a Yonkers fireman. So I'm very proud of them. And I have two grandchildren now and that's keeping us busy here. And life has been good, I have to say. That's wonderful. I, I am not surprised to hear that you have a son who's a professional athlete because let's be clear, in your 60s, you're operating on the fire floor with the youngest gym rat in the company. So that's tremendous. Do you have right. any practices or techniques that you believe enhance your ability to operate for so many years and stay mentally focused and physically fit? Well, I just try and tell the young guys, like, to stay in shape, some way, shape, or form. Do, do exercise, whether it's walking, running, jogging. You know, you got guys that are into the heavy weights and all. Just do maybe some light weight training. Get to the gym now and then. And keep your weight down if you can. It, it helps. And that's uh, do something. You have to do something physical. I think you really do. And and most guys do. They they keep themselves in pretty good shape. And that's that's helped me. I have to say. I like to ride the bike. I play a lot of softball. I played a little, little bit of football and basketball when I was younger. Mostly baseball, softball, and. I always wanted to be in shape to do those things. So I did a little extracurricular running and things like that. So you need to have your wind because we run up the flight of stairs and, and you're breathing heavy. And if you're in decent shape, you can recover and now do what you have to do. But if you're not in decent shape, it's going to be, it's hard to recover. So just do something to stay in shape, treadmill, bike, the elliptical. There's, there's a lot of different things, but a few times a week, need to just do that stay consistent right exactly i appreciate all of that as we begin to wind down what advice would you offer the young men and women who are beginning their careers now any thoughts on how to support and develop others just uh remember the history and traditions and uh, enjoy the job but learn the job and, and listen to the older guys. And, and even if they repeat themselves, keep, keep listening, pay attention. You know, don't just be on the cell phone all the time. If someone has something to say, you know, listen up. And uh, I, I learned so much sitting around the kitchen with these guys, just not even all about firefighting, about life in general. 
you come in as a very young person and they're talking about interesting things that are going on in the world, financial stuff, all that. And, and you can really learn and, uh, you know, have common sense, have a good work ethic, be flexible, be patient, uh, do the right thing. Right. And things should work out and don't have thin skin, have some fun, have some laughs. Have, I always say, uh, you know, we laugh a lot because it's a stressful job and, and it's important to be able to laugh with each other and laugh at each other to some degree without being harmful. But don't take yourself too seriously. Have fun. Enjoy it. We're like a family. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it has been. And hopefully it stays that way. Don't overanalyze, right? <laughs> what, what I so enjoy is that you don't always have to regale fire stories, right? I understand that you have experienced a tremendous amount of fire duty in your career, yet you have so much to share that is transferable to so many different areas. Real of life. life, real life stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I always enjoy these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very true. And again, I've learned so much from sitting around the kitchen. You know, we got a lot of experts. Or th they think they are, but no. Uh, you can bring up almost any subject and somebody knows something about it. Then the next guy will top that guy, of course, you know, but it's it's all good. And then, and it's good to laugh because it is a stressful job. And, uh, you know, you go through some serious stuff and then you sit around and, in the kitchen and, and you have a few laughs and uh, it, it helps to reduce the stress level. It's important. Yes, and I feel very renewed and rejuvenated after this conversation. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and to share all of these lessons and impart your knowledge and experience. Thank you, Patty, and I appreciate it very much. I really do. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.